Hey everybody and welcome to the Daily Objective. I've got Mark with me today and we're talking about kind of a continuation of yesterday's topic where we were talking about the right um, being split over Israel. Today we're going to be talking about the splits in the left surrounding Israel, particularly the Democrat Party, but maybe I'll have a little bit to say about what's going on in the UK as well. Um, I'm going to start us off with the news briefing as always and then we'll move on to the main topic. So we're in day 45 of the war. Uh, the death toll for the IDF's operation in Gaza has risen to 66, unfortunately, um, and the Gazan Health Ministry is reporting that death tolls amongst Gazan citizens is about 13,000. And there's obviously some question about whether those figures are reliable from the Gazan Health Ministry, but <clears throat> those are the figures as we have them right now. Um, the news today has been dominated um, largely by kind of humanitarian affairs, as it often is. Um, We've, in the last week, seen conflict being going on in the Al-Shifa hospital, and the news today has been concerned with premature babies which have been taken out of the uh, NICU unit in Al-Shifa and taken into Egypt. Um, initial reports that it was 31 premature babies, and that was um, actually lowered down to 29. There's not been an explanation for what, why there's been a change in numbers. Perhaps there was a miscount, or perhaps some were left behind. We're not really sure. Um, <clears throat> this also comes as fighting has uh, intensified in the north of Gaza, particularly airstrikes surrounding another hospital, the Indonesian hospital. Um, there was an airstrike on the, on the Indonesian hospital today, which killed 12 people. Um, and then the other thing that was majorly in the news was a hearing in the Knesset today um, concerning a piece of legislation for passing the death penalty for terrorists. Um, and the hearing involved family members of hostages who are being held in Gaza, uh, becoming before the members of the Knesset and saying, please don't pass this legislation we're concerned that there's going to be repercussions for our family members if the death penalty is passed for terrorists. <clears throat> and that's not especially noteworthy, but in response to that, a member of the Knesset called, and I hope I'm going to get the name right, called Safika Fogel, um, stand, stood up and started shouting at the families of the uh, hostages and saying that in urging them not to pass this legislation, they were representing Hamas more than they were the state of Israel, and that, um, and he shouted at a particular member, a family member, and said, "You have no mandate over pain." Um, I think the idea being that you're here pleading, kind of suffering uh, due to your family members being held hostage, but actually we're all suffering, so please don't try and use that. Um, supposedly, this member of the Knesset comes from a far right party. Um, I don't really have a good grasp of the Israeli political spectrum, so I'm not sure. But that's how it's being reported in the news, anyway. So, as always, when far right comes up, take it with a pinch of salt, but. I think there might be some, you know, unsavory, unsavory political parties in the Knesset in any case. Um, and that's the major topics which, which have been in the news. Um, so, Mark, why don't you start us off? We're talking about divisions in the Democrats around Israel and Hamas. Yeah, so uh, as you might know, the left is, um, is commanded by an oppression narrative, <clears throat> which creates some interesting conflicts within their party because the most extreme or consistent members of the left are going to follow the oppression narrative, which means that they're going to be rooting for Palestinians, rooting for Hamas as not, not as a terrorist organization, but as a liberating force and against the Israelis. And, and many of the people predominantly in the squad, for example, have uh, come out uh, publicly in favor of Hamas uh, and publicly uh, against Israel. Uh, one of them was censured, uh, of course, for her terrible uh, anti-Semitic comments, but uh, others have not been and probably should be. Um, so 
there are some conservative members of the Democratic Party um, who are aligned with Israel and more pragmatic in their response to what's going on today. Um, but the rift is growing between them um, at a pretty rapid rate. And in America, I think the uh, pro-Palestinian rallies, the anti-Semitism um, that seems to be taking our country by storm is is pushing the weight on the side of the pro-Palestinians, I think, in that in that um, party. Mm. And so as an outsider, tell me, is it because my my guess would be that as a voting bloc, um, the American Jewish population would mostly vote Democrat. Um, I might be wrong yeah. on that, but and I would wager that the Democrats are probably quite concerned about losing that support um, for the coming elections. Um, and so, and I was I read a little article on NPR just to get a sense of this, and my impression was that um, there's a kind of big feeling that the Democrats have let us down from the Jewish population. Um, and then the squad, I'm <clears throat> I'm kind of familiar with that. That's uh, is that. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar, right? And then, yeah. and who are the other Tlaib, ones? Talib, um, Corey, uh, Corey Booker, I think, and uh, maybe one or two others. But yeah, the the radical quote unquote wing of the the Democratic Socialist wing of the Democratic Party. Yeah. So, what is the? Have they addressed the kind of um, I guess that wing of their voting base? Then, like, what have they said to kind of? convinced or if they done anything like that at all i don't know i think there's also been a mass exit there's been a mass exodus of african americans from the party it's swinging swinging right towards republicans and i think there's also been a similar movement from the jewish community over the last uh several years since trump believe it or not um a, a movement of probably the more religious conservatives over to the right to the republican party i mean i, I feel the reasons those those uh groups of people uh, vote democrat anyway feels more bound in tradition than in, um, you know, uh, context rather than in actual facts, you know, in the present moment. And the more some of those groups ground themselves in what their actual goals are and, and, and see what the Democratic Party is all about, the more they leave the party in droves. Since, uh, since 2020, I think the vote, the vote from these various interest groups has decreased pretty intensely. Mm. And so I don't I don't know that they're going to so I don't know that they're going to address it. I don't I think they're going uh, and I don't know how they would address it because um, uh, there's other there's other groups that fall into the, the their oppression narrative much more easily. And they're certainly picking up those groups um, much more easily than modern the modern Jewish folks do. Yeah. And um, that article I was reading was um, an interview with a kind of, um, I guess, pro Israel demonstrator in DC and who was a Jewish lady. And she was saying that um, she had kind of traditionally supported the Democrats because she believed in progressive values. She believed in protecting minorities, particularly LGBT minorities who the Democrats, you know, make a lot of hay about being in favor of. <clears throat> and she, as we've kind of mentioned on the channel quite a few times, she thinks that there's a kind of obvious contradiction in supporting Hamas or uh, being anti-Israel. And then also claim that you hold kind of, um, LGBT positive values um, and so I guess in the from the British perspective like, like in Britain the British left is also deeply divided about this and it's a division that's so deep that I think it would unless they can really pull something out the bag and resolve it 
it could cost the British Labour Party the next election, which they seem to be in the position to win. So this is kind of a big issue. Um, do you think it would be that big of an issue for the Democrats? Why, why don't you guys? Why don't you guys learn your lesson? Why do you guys keep electing these la Labour folks? I mean, look, I have this question as well. Um, I wish I could speak to my countrymen and change their minds, but um, you know they make bad decisions. Um, it's like an you know an abusive ex boyfriend or something that they keep electing them and then it keeps coming back around, thinking mm -hmm. they've changed and so on. Um, I mean, and just to, you know, I guess to talk about how it's dividing the Labour Party. Um, as I said, there there's a serious chance that they could win the next election <clears throat> after seeming um, almost I wouldn't say unelectable for the last thirteen years, but really struggling to make major ground for the last 13 years and be, and this is mostly driven not really by anything that the Labour Party's done that's convinced people but because the Tory party have been so bad um, and have <clears throat> had so many scandals and so on and so forth and Keir Starmer who's leading the Labour Party who I think actually nationally isn't very popular at all he's kind of viewed as a, a wet uh, lesser sleeve kind of immensely unimpressive is actually doing quite well at positioning themselves to look like a serious party who could come in and, and take over the reins of government um and in doing that i think he's kind of judged what the attitude of the country is and he's refused to back a ceasefire and that i think is quite savvy because if he did back a ceasefire i think that would really kill a lot of their chances um his predecessor jeremy corbyn was i think basically lost um his chances of of winning an election because he was perceived as being too radically left-wing, too kind of intellectually, university-educated, socialist, that kind of, holding those kind of values. Um, and he was, of course, pro-Hamas. And so I think they want to kind of run as far away from any, from any perception that they're anti-Israel at all, or, or doing anything that could favour Hamas. And when Keir Starmer has said why he's against a ceasefire, it's because a ceasefire would favour Hamas. And that's good. And so, and he's, I think, doing that with an eye to the next election. And so, but what has happened as a result of him doing that, is that there's been resignations from the Labour front bench, um, lots of internal criticism from the Parliamentary Labour Party, and then on the local level, in local councils, um, Labour members have resigned, have formed their own independent socialist groups, and uh, it's been it's been a big issue. And unless he can kind of pull it together and show to the country that they are somehow unified or he's dealt with this in some way, I think it could actually cost him the election, which it seems like he's going to win. Um, so do you think, so is Joe Biden panicking about this? Do you think in the same way? No, I think Joe Biden is holding that center line where he's supporting Israel, but also trying to hold out an olive branch to Hamas. So he seems like he's satisfying both wings of his party. Um, I've never seen a Democrat take a backward step, to be honest with you. I, I don't see them ever apologize for errors. That they make the squad certainly as the most consistent philosophically uh members of the democratic socialist wing now we can openly call it that um because they openly call themselves that um, i've never seen them take a backward step so um and you know i i don't know how your culture is but our culture millennials and and gen zers are so steeped in oppression culture and, and colonialism and linking colonialism to western civilization and to abuse that um, they are the squad and the democratic socialist pro Hamas wing seem to be one step ahead of the culture in a sense. So um, I don't I, I don't see them 
standing down. I mean, one was censured already. I don't see her standing down. Maybe I'm missing something. Uh, the other ones have been just as strident um, and unapologetic about their moral perspective. And I think that's actually what gives them strength. I think they'll push the argument further left by their intransigence. Mm. And then just because I'm on, when you say that she was censured, what do you mean by that? Because I'm, I'm not aware. Yeah, so the Senate censured her, um, you know, which is a sort of penalty, sort of a slap on the wrist. It's an official block or blot on your record. Um, um, but it's I don't know that it has any political repercussions or whether that will have any effect on her constituency, um, who likely voted for her because she is who she is. So yeah. um, they may be in total agreement with, with them. And the pro-Palestinian folks are really huge conspiracy theorists. You know, they think the Jews are behind the government and and the censuring of the of the government of her terrible anti-Semitic um, slurs would just see and and the fact that she was on a secret pro-Palestinian like uh, group, I think um, as well, um, would probably would probably be a moral check in in on their box as as far as they're concerned. So um, it's a it's a gesture that I, I I don't think it has any meaning politically. Um, so well, and so what had she when you say so she'd been anti-Semitic? Has she been anti-Semitic in the Senate? Um, she's, she's on social media. She's, um, she's been very incendiary and she's gone to pro-Palestinian rallies and been very incendiary at the pro-Palestinian rallies. Um, so I, I don't know, I don't know that she's spoken in the Senate directly and, mm -hmm. and made these comments directly in the Senate, but certainly yeah. publicly. Okay. So then I guess my impression is that I see, I, this is actually different to what I was expecting. Um, is that she's not going to be, so she's been reprimanded by the Senate then, she's received this censure, but is she going to be reprimanded by the higher ups in the Democratic Party? Is she gonna, is it gonna be more difficult for her to kind of achieve office, uh, you know, ministerial position? Uh, I mean, there, one of the reasons the squad is freaking out is because there are people in the Democratic establishment, the political establishment in general, who are saying that they should be challenged in their, in their elections now, their primary elections. Uh, and so they are starting to panic a little bit. Um, a little bit i but i don't i, I don't know if that's all hot air I, I don't know i don't know what any of that means is that going to mean that the democratic socialists have have you know we're experiencing their sunset now they're going to be ousted out of office and replaced by somebody more moderate i, I don't have faith that that's going to be the case mm. if anything i think these guys play the victim narrative so well that they they'll play that narrative right into the into beating beating uh any opposition in the primary or even the idea that they should be primaried out yeah um and although the so you're an actor obviously um and you spend must have spent a fair about much bit of time around hollywood and actors and so on and so you must i guess interact with a fair amount of people who vote democrat consider themselves democrats and so on um and i just wanted to ask you a question i guess contrasting to the british labor party because I think the average Labour voter would, it's not clear to me whether they would be pro-Palestine or pro-Israel. I think they'd be split fairly evenly. And the ones who would be pro-Palestine would be very pro-Palestine. Like it wouldn't just be that, um, oh, I support a two-state solution and, and so on and so forth. It would be that they would, they would fully view Hamas as a legitimate government ruling over an oppressed people who are occupied by the Israeli government. And then there would be some kind of it, it's a contradiction i want to say more conservative labor voters but kind of 
less radical ones who would kind of um, want to support Israel, perhaps out of a kind of, again, I think there's a kind of paternalistic attitude among some British people about Israel due to Britain's role in creating the state of Israel. Um, but so when you've, when you've interacted with democratic voters then, um, do you think, like, what's your gauge of, of, of their position on this? Are they, are they rabidly pro-Palestine? Because my impression is probably not. Um, I'm trying to think people that I know in the industry, I haven't really talked too much about this, this particular issue. Um, I imagine, I imagine there's some um, pretty deep divisions in, in Hollywood as well, because, you know, there's a lot of Jewish folks in, in Hollywood and the creative elements of Hollywood who are uh, pro-Israel and feel justifiably uh, upset by all the anti-Semitism going on out there. And there's, there's plenty of extreme uh, left-wing socialist um, oppression uh, narrative type folks out there, uh, particularly in acting, probably who who follow the pro-Palestine narrative. I haven't really, you know, we've we've been on strike during this time and only just now getting back to work. So um, I haven't really spoken to anybody on the set about how they feel about the current events. Because mm. <laughs> I well, actually, well, I say that my impression is that the average Democrat voter wouldn't be very pro-Palestine, but maybe they would be. And maybe, because actors nowadays, I mean, I'm, I don't want to maybe take it off into acting if, if you don't want to talk about it, but um, my actors seem to take, I guess, more radical political stances nowadays than they maybe ever have before. Um, and maybe because of the strike, we haven't been seeing that. But I I'm expect, I would be expecting more than we have seen to see more radical displays from kind of Hollywood for, in favor of Palestine. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, they're probably afraid of stepping into that morass. You know, it's it's messy. I mean, what 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 actors have always been is feelings oriented, and the side that presents the the greatest um, show of compassion is probably the side that they're going to go after, or the side that seems to be the most oppressed or fighting for justice. You know, in those broad terms, in their mind, as from the altruist perspective. Um, they're going to get their their backing, right? So in in the 40s and 50s, the 30s, 40s, and 50s, what ideology was huge in Hollywood? Socialism. I mean, e even even uh, the, the, my my ultimate mentor, Sandy Meisner, was a part of the Group Theater, which was one of the most famous theater companies in America, and it was responsible for turning out the acting teachers who taught De Niro and Brando and Pacino, right? Lee Strasberg, Stella Adler. A Sanford Meisner, they were in an ideologically cemented collective. Ilya Kazan, one of the greatest American directors, was part of that collective, and he was questioned by the Committee on Un-American Activities, and he actually named names. One of the reasons uh, so many so many actors did not stand for his uh, for his Lifetime Achievement Award at the Academy Awards a few years before he passed away. So. Uh, this is after the history of the Soviet Union was made quite clear to pretty much anybody with half a brain. Many actors, including Ed Harris, didn't stand for Kazan because he named names. Um, and those are old time folks. Now, imagine millennials and Gen Xers who have been educated into a, a particular type of cultural Marxism. They're going to feel more of an affinity for the Hamas situation um, because Hamas does 
uh, something very interesting in their PR campaigns. They appeal by pictures, right? We know that pictures aren't an argument, but they throw these pictures out there for the concrete bound mind that exists uh, out there on social media and even in Hollywood. Those are very troubling. It pulls at their heartstrings and they let that carry them away. So I think that if you don't see many um, uh, actors engaging the way they normally would in other social politics, like with, with Trump, for example. Trump's an easy target, uh, especially for their side. Um, but if it's sticky, if it's if it's messy, if it's going to get them in a hotbed of trouble that they won't be able to easily get out of, I don't think most of the actors would would even enter the fray, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, but it's, it's a good, I'll, I'll read out the super chats, but it's a, it's a good point, I guess, um, that you made that the Democrats view themselves as being pro the oppressed. Um, and although there's a contradiction there, um, I was going to ask, do you think, do you think there's any way that um, people could make headway with democratic voters by kind of turning that dynamic around? Because the way it's going at the moment is that the Palestinians are the oppressed, the Israelis are the oppressors and so on. Um, do you think there's any way that it, they could shift it so that it could, like you could see it so that Israel is, surrounded by hostile neighbors who would who wish to oppress israel and who act hostilely hostily against israel um and and you know fund hamas to kill jews and to try and destroy the state um even though they aren't actually they haven't taken action themselves to invade israel for many decades um do you think there could be any purchase in trying to turn around that or is that is that a fruitless endeavor? Do you think that would be self-defeating ultimately? Well, those are facts you're talking about. And those facts have existed since the, the beginning of Israel. And they haven't seemed to matter to these folks because their feelings are are immediate, immediate and accessible. And that's what they trust over the facts. The facts are abstractions to them. They could care mm -hmm. less about that. And I was talking uh, the other day on, on the show that, you know, we do have to change our orientation to this entire argument for sure. Um, but it's the, it's the orientation towards the objectivist perspective, which is, you know, certain states have a right to exist, certain others don't. And we we name the conditions, uh, we specify the conditions, what those what those rights to exist are. And um and Israel likewise, you know, falls under our metric of a state that should, you know, exist that stands for Western civilization project, pro progress, science individual rights and perfectly like every other state that claims to follow uh, follow individual rights but but nonetheless there's no other state in the region that can do that unfortunately that's an abstract argument and it doesn't connect with people's emotions and you can't convince people who've been who've been steeped in colonialist narratives and anti-western civilization narratives that the big powerful rich jews are somehow oppressing the poor benighted uh palestinians and that somehow they are the victims of of all these other basically poor nations. They're just not going to turn them into the 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 visuals aren't there, you know, right. it, and that's the level that they think on. Sure. Uh, so let's just read out some super chats. We've got uh, ninety nine cents from Bonnie. Thank you very much, Bonnie. And then two dollars from Frank Grail, who said that Geddy Lee and Gene Simmons are vocally pro Israel. Um, I know Gene, Sim Gene Simmons is from Kiss, right? I don't know who Getty Lee yeah. is. But... Getty Lee is from Rush. Oh, okay. All right. So, also yeah. pro Ayn Rand, I might say. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I've never actually, I haven't listened to much of Rush. Have you listened to a lot of Rush? Sure. Yeah. I've only, yeah, I've man. listened to, um, I think it's, they, they have a song about Anthem, right? 
Uh, do they have any other good ones that you'd suggest? Yeah, listen to 2112. Listen to the album 2112. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know much of the history of that band. I guess, I mean, we're digressing from the topic, I guess, but um, it'd be interesting how how they kind of got influenced by Ayn Rand. I guess just reading the books like everyone else. So that must be the answer. Yeah, I know the best, the best thinkers about liberty seem to be coming out of Canada. <laughs> oh, are they Canadian? Okay, there you go. I'm, yeah, Canadian. I'm ignorant. Ridpath, Ridpath was Canadian too, right? And Peacock. Yeah. Um, yeah so. And Ankargate as well. Ankargate, so see, they're all coming out of Canada. Yeah, Canada must be doing something right. I don't know what it is. Um, maybe it's all the poutine that they eat. Well, they saved the world at one time, believe it or not, and maybe they'll do it again with some of these thinkers. William Stevenson <laughs> was, William Stevenson um, wrote a book um, called A Man Called Intrepid that's about the super spy who united Canada, Europe, and America in, in their, in their um, uh, spy war, uh, espionage war against the Nazis and all of the things that he accomplished. It's pretty cool. You should see it. Oh, cool. What was that called? Read the book. A Man Called Intrepid. Man Called Okay. That does sound cool. Um, so I'll just, so we've got upco the upcoming shows for today at 6 p.m. We've got the reality show, uh, which is titled Institutional Islamophobia Within the Labour Party. So I guess we'll kind of be expanding on a little bit of what we've been speaking about today. And then at 7 p.m., we've got a new video on the Briefly Objective with, um, from Kirk Wilcox called why, why a Ceasefire Would Cost More Lives. So you guys should all go check those out. Um, so just before we go, I mean, do you have any final comments or views on the future of the Democrats and anti-Israel sentiment? Um, I don't see it going away anytime soon. Like the oppression narrative isn't going to go away anytime soon. I think it'll gain steam a little bit. Um, the uglier the war gets, the more steam it's going to gain. And um, uh, lots of people who are conservative Democrats, I think, are going to feel the push from social media um, to to press Israel for a ceasefire, or some kind of resolution to the hostage issue. And I don't know that the Hamas is going to be eliminated the way we'd all like them to be. I don't have... I don't have the best predictions here for for that. I don't have that much confidence in our in our culture, um, in its ability to deal with uh, evil. Um, so, I think uh, things will continue uh, along their course. Yeah, I suspect you're right. Um, I've never thought of myself as a pessimist, but anyone who's watched any of the shows I've been on recently will probably think I am an awful pessimist because at least I'm an awful pessimist about this issue. Um, the, the response in the West has, has just been so terrible and confused and sort of misguided that um, actually achieving a proper resolution to this, I don't see how we're going to be able to do it. I don't know how we defeated ISIS, for goodness sake, um, when we're so well, mixed up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that we actually did since we didn't destroy the ideology itself. It's it's still prevalent. It's still popular. And I mean, it's gaining ground in, especially in the left. If you have leftist uh, females putting on hijabs in in uh, and gay women putting on hijabs in the name of solidarity with Palestinians, you're you're seeing people who are courting uh, an oppression narrative to their own demise. <laughs> so uh, it's so irrational. It's we live in a totally irrational culture. It's hard to think that we're going to get on track anytime soon. Yeah. Um, just before you go, I guess my final comment. I'll say. Um, is that I something that's come to mind a lot recently was the response to the killing of Osama bin Laden. Um, this might be because of the his letter to America, which went you know viral in the last weeks. But um, I don't know if this happened in the US, but in Britain, when he was killed, a lot of people, particularly I have to say on the left, um, I don't want to be unfair in singling them out, but I think it was mostly people on the left, were lamenting 
his killing. And they were lamenting it in the sense that they were saying, oh, he should have been um, captured and brought back to the UK or America and put on trial. Um, and what a fantastic advert for Western values and democracy it would have been. And it's like, you don't concern yourself with Western values or, you know, at any other time. And now you're, making, you're hand-wringing about the fact that, in a sense, our mortal enemy was killed in a warfare situation. Um, and I, and those people who are making that point, I think they, although they must, you know, they're, the thing that caused them to be like that must have been that all along. I don't know, they signaled the fact that we kind of will never be able to succeed in these kind of issues, so long as that kind of, um, I don't know how, what to call it, kind of naysaying is going on. I think I, yes, yeah, I think you're right, and I think that was that those bullets that hit Osama bin Laden in the head were two of the greatest blows for Western civilization that have been stricken in the last uh, fifty years. He came out of that room in Pakistan unarmed, knowing that American soldiers probably wouldn't shoot an unarmed man because of our Western values. Well, our Western values actually took us in the other direction: exterminate the bad guys, and I think that is what we need. We, where we need to set our sights right now. Absolutely. Well, we'll leave it on that then, on that powerful ending. Um, everyone stick around. TRS is coming up in just a few minutes, so we'll see you all then. And uh, thanks for chatting with me, Mark. Peace. Thanks.